Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for bringing us to this moment of adoration where we can lift up our hearts and, and express to you from, from the very depths of our heart how much we love you and we thank you that you, a loving God, would reach down to earth, give us your son, that he might rescue us from the darkness of our souls and bring us into a relationship now with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And so we adore him. This time of the season gives us opportunity just to think even more about how much we adore the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be willing to do for us what we couldn't possibly do. So Lord, this morning, uh, we thank you for uh, bringing our attention and our awareness to the excellency and the majesty of Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. And I pray, O oh, Father, that as we spend time in your word now, that you would recaptivate our hearts afresh with the truth of who Christ is, that we might not get pushed around in this culture that is lost and dark, but that we might be con convinced and confident in the truth that we believe, the truth of Jesus Christ, Lord of glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, I was um, turning my attention to the news last night. Well, actually the sports. I wanted to find out how things went last night. But, but, um, but then I did happen to stay long enough to watch the news. And would you agree with me that our world is in a complete mess? I mean, it is unbelievable. I was watching the rioting in France. They're marching in Poland. They're, they're at war in the Middle East. That's the way it constantly is. The, our country has ne never been more divided, I think. And uh, we're in trouble with China. I mean, it's just, it's just a big mess out there. Humanity is, is severely broken. And uh, if we were a retail product, if humanity was a retail product, we would be under an intense recall right now. Don't you think? We would be, we would be recalled. So I want to talk to you the next three weeks about, about the, the need of recall. Um, I, I want to look at three different isms that are attacking the truth, humanism and liberalism, and tie that together. Uh, I want to talk about relativism and moralism, and we'll unpack that. They're just words, I know, but we'll unpack it this way. We'll look at Jesus from three angles. We'll look at Jesus as word, Jesus as creator, and Jesus as savior. It's a great time of the year. I, I love this time of the year in so many ways because I just refocus my, my attention to Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. This, this is what, what it's really all about. So I, I trust this will be strengthening for you because we are under attack. The truth is under attack. The understanding of who Jesus is is always under attack. And uh, the enemy wants to keep us from believing the truth wants to keep us from knowing the truth, wants to keep our culture locked in darkness so, so that it doesn't know about Jesus and how great, how marvelous, how wonderful he is. 
And, uh, and so I want, to, uh, I want to look at uh, John chapter 1. So would you turn there to, uh, with me today? John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at just one verse today. Well, two verses, but ma- major on one verse. And uh, I just want to, uh, before we actually get there, I just want to point out that this, um, the three issues that are really um, ripping us, ripping our culture apart, ripping the world apart, the three broken areas are in, the, uh, in, in reference to Jesus as just a human, and that's what the humanists want to believe, and that's what they're, uh, they're, they're really winning the day in so many, in so many sectors. Uh, the relativist uh, defect is that God is, is good with how we have turned out, and he's fine with just the way we are. The moralists, and the moralist defect is our good is good enough. And so we want to look at those three things, because that's what's really converging in our world today, those three things are seeking to undermine the thinking of, of uh, this generation. Now, keep in mind that John, the apostle, um, in his gospel, he, in fact, is, uh, is the one who, who was able to sort of sit back while all of the other theology was written and recorded, and he had time to reflect on, on just what he had encountered in his life. John, being the very youngest one who was hanging out with Jesus, uh, lived uh, long into the very end of the first century, and uh, he was exiled for a while, and therefore he had lots of time on his hands. And, and so after all the other theology had been written, John uh, produces his gospel, his letters, his, uh, the book of Revelation, and, and in his gospel, he, he starts very differently than all the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he does this on purpose. The Holy Spirit directs him on purpose, in fact, to do that. You know, we, we, we understand, of course, that by this time the Apostle Paul had written all of his letters and had died. And so Paul's uh, theology centered on resurrection. Christ has risen from the dead. The glorious message, the centerpiece of Christianity. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, Mark, they, they uh, tended to concentrate on the earthly ministry of Christ and his fulfillment of the scriptures to a Jewish audience. John, it seems, uh, exiled among the Gentiles, uh, reflecting, as I said, on all that has been written, he seems to talk more to the idolaters and to the pagans and is a message that is very, very relevant to us today. And and, uh, so John addresses this very issue of the humanist liberalism problem, um, which is really one of the, is is sourced in one of the most serious, mistaken ideas about Jesus. And in some ways, Christmas, as it is packaged in the culture, aids and abets this misunderstanding of who Christ really is, beliefs about his beginning and origin in particular. Uh, so to, and, and, of course, to get this wrong, in part, explains why our world is entrenched in humanism. The idea that Jesus, born in a manger uh, 2,000 years ago, is a great story of a, uh, uh, a great little human who grew up to be a great teacher and, and offered to us some important things, but the humanists idea of Jesus is really in praise and worship of the human. 
exclusively the human who is inherently good and if able to reach down deep enough can pull out of themselves the goodness that is in them and make a change to the darkness of this world. Now you and I who know Jesus Christ know that's entirely impossible and wrong, but that's, that's the modus operandi of our culture for the most part, particularly our North American culture. And it's all fueled in, in, in so many ways by a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is. And John sets out to set the record straight about who Christ really is. You see, because if Jesus is just an historic or a human phenomenon, then we can be selective in terms of what we do with what he did or what he said. We can rank him with all of the other great human icons that have come down through history and we can say, well, you know, he's just one of many great individuals who've walked on the landscape of this earth. And, but we can editorialize his life. We can choose this because we like it. We can choose that because we don't like it because after all, he's just a great human. John sets out to deal with that. And of course... The problem, of course, is that Jesus becomes one who sometimes got it right and other times I'm free to discount what he says because it is inconvenient and it doesn't fit into my category called fashionable truth. By fashionable truth, it's truth fashioned to my life, the way I want things to be. So um, let me just introduce our, our discussion this morning by pointing out to you that Christmas is a recall on humanism and liberalism, and the product recall dis description is voices. And there are two main voices in our culture in terms of one representing humanism, one representing liberalism. I'm less concerned about the humanism voice than I am about the liberalism voice. I'll explain that in a moment. The humanism voice we've always had, we continue to live with and, and have to accept as part of the darkness of our world. And I would say the humanism of voice is a, a pre-pagan humanist worldview. Now, I know a lot of people are classifying the times that we live in as post-Christian, and I understand that, and I, I think it's, it's possibly accurate. But, but when I look at the landscape now, I, I, don't, I see it darker than post-Christian, I see it more as pre-pagan. I see the culture that we live in. Uh, there, there was a time of paganism where uh, pagans at least believed in gods or some superstitious gods and were more likely to, to be um, carried from their belief in the pantheon of gods to the possibility that there might be a god the era we're living in now, I, I see as pre-pagan, before even there was any thought of gods, and the people that we're ministering to have no appetite for a god at all that isn't themselves. So that's, that's the, the lay of the landscape in one direction that we have to deal with and John is going to deal with here today. They're into fashionable truth. I would say mainline Christianity is, for the most part, sold out to this humanism, humanism um, uh, ideology. 
And at the surface level, the humanist idea is, an ideal is how to make the darkness of this world better using human strength and human ingenuity and the consistent belief that we can do this if we're just good enough, if we just love each other enough. How's it working for anybody? Turn on the news. It's not working. You have to blow water cannons at people because they don't want their gasoline tax increased. That's a little extreme, isn't it? That's France. But here's the one that I'm, is a big gasp for me, and I've been sharing this with you for a while. This is the one to watch out for. And, and it's what I would call the progressive conservative evangelicalism. The word progressive in quotation marks in front of it, which has shaky confidence in the connection between Jesus and the Word of God. In both academia and in pastoral practitioners, there is increasing, an increasing level of disconnect between Christ and the Scriptures. Increasing latitude is being given to a free-range Jesus that is disconnected from the written record and revelation of him in the scriptures, which is causing a shiver to run through evangelicalism in this. Is the Bible credible? Or can I manufacture my own ideas of Jesus and follow the ones I like and disregard the ones I don't like? Now, that's not a lot different than humanism, or, but this liberalism is packaged within our family. That's the danger. Because, beloved, if the evangelical family caves to heresy... There is nothing left for this world. We are the witness that is left by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you that we have no progressive conservative evangelicals on staff here, nor will we. But I would point this out to you because all around us, there is a growing following. In fact, um, it is at this issue, John 1.1, and the very issue of Jesus and his connection with Scripture, that is most attacked by cults, by those opposed to Christianity, and it is incredibly disturbing and distressing that evangelicals among us are joining in the attack. So your Bibles are open to John 1, 1, 2, and we're going to look at the question, is Jesus just a great human? And the Scripture's lovely ideas of a divine-like worldview, or is there more to it than this? John 1, 1 and 2. Let's read together. It's very short. In the beginning 
I'm not hearing you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All right. So John turns his attention to Jesus' beginning. Okay? And it wasn't a manger. Before the son was a baby in a manger, he was the logos of God, the word of God. The Christmas recall that we're looking at today resets for us our approach to the word of God, or I trust it will. And let's, let's understand this, that, that in the latter part of the first century, when John was writing this, there were plenty of people around who, who knew of this person who came from Nazareth named Jesus who died a martyr's death on a cross. They, they knew about him and they had, all the, they had all kinds of their own theories about who he was. Just a great man. This, wasn't an, this isn't a new idea today. John, John had heard of these things. There were all kinds of people as well who, who um, were wandering around at the time of John who, who believed the Bible contained certain things of, of the sayings of this man and all kinds of confusion about that, but, but they, were, they were not connecting it to uh, any great divine reality. John knew all of this. So, so I want to look at three questions this morning with you. Three questions and, and then we're, we're out of here. Just how ancient is Jesus? That's our first question. And what is his connection to the scriptures? The second question is just how vitally interested is God in making his person known and his words more than just concepts and ideas? And thirdly, who is Jesus in reference to God? So there's some lofty questions to consider this morning. But this is core doctrine that, that we need at this time when truth is under attack and under attack from within. We need to be able to stand on these truths. So just um, how ancient is Jesus? Well, it says, in the beginning was the word. What beginning? Well, it's impossible to escape the idea that John was borrowing the language of Genesis 1.1. It's impossible not to see it there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John starts out his gospel of Jesus in the beginning. And he's going to talk about this one uh, that all things were made through. And so in the beginning is talking about the time of Genesis 1-1, the time before creation. In the beginning was the word before creation. Maybe we better back up for a moment, though. Who are we even talking about? I'm making assumptions this morning. Who are we even talking about? In verse 2, it says he. Okay? It's the same. This topic of this, this uh, two verses is he. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who's the he that we're referring to here? Well, if you look down at verse 3, you see that whoever it's talking about is the one who through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So we, we can see that. If we move down to verse 14, we can see that the, the, the he is the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And at Christmas time, that's sort of kind of catching our attention, isn't it? We're sort of starting to understand who that is. And if we move down now to verse 17, we really, the light really shines and focuses on it with laser clarity, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the he that's being referenced here in John 1.1 is Jesus Christ. 
In the beginning was the Christ, and the Word, and the Christ was with God, and the Christ was God. So we are we are drawn in here that the subject is Jesus, and the Son of God was in the beginning. Didn't start out in a manger. He was before creation, in eternity past. In the beginning was the Word. Literally. In the beginning, the word was. That's how it actually is laid out in original. The word was. The imminent, when we talk about the logos of God, word, logos is just a Greek, the Greek word for word. Logos, in the beginning, uh, the imminent the power of God creatively at work in the world. That's the logos of God. God speaks and it comes into existence. Now, um, it's important for us to understand then that the Word did not come into being, nor was there ever a time that the Word was not. Okay? The Son of God is eternal, eternal past and into eternity future. And, and there's very specific wording done here. If you will indulge me for a moment, I'm going to take you on a little grammar trip. Is that all right for a second? A little verb trip? Because it's really critical for you to see this. In the beginning, the word was. Uh, there are, were options for John as he wrote this. Now, keep in mind that John was not an academic. John was a fisherman. In fact... Um, John was the simplest of all the New Testament writers. John's, writing, John's writings in the Greek language were the sim- Is that John giving us a call? John, John's writings were the very simplest of all. And so when you're learning Greek, it's easiest to read John. But the, the, the Greek construction here is profoundly important. And clearly, we know this anyway, but clearly led by the Holy Spirit. And and so here we have, John had the opportunity to to write in two different verb families, and he demonstrates it in two verses here. When he says, in the beginning the word was, he's using the emi family of verbs uh, to use the to be, I am, that kind of verb. In other words, he's saying, in the beginning the word existed. And the word actually means an ongoing existence. That's the declaration. It just existed. He could have used the ginomai family verbally to express the same thing, but he chose not to. He chose to use it in verse 3. Through him all things were ginomai or made or came into existence. So the distinction is that the word existed, you and I came into existence. It's extremely different. Important theology for us. That's why when Jesus was being questioned about his his, um, uh, credibility, uh, about his authority by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees, in John chapter 8, He said to them, before Abraham was, I am. 
Before Abraham Ginomai came into existence, I, Amy, existed. He establishes the distinction between Abraham as created and the Son of God as eternally existent in the use of this verbal family. Very critical for us to understand. So the word did not ever come into being, nor was there ever a time when the word was not. It ha- but the word of God, the Son of God, has been revealed to humanity in both writing the scriptures and in flesh. So established here in the beginning, the word was literally Jesus is the word of God. Now, I hope you're starting to sort of gather uh, the implications of this in your thinking in terms of the concerns that we were speaking of, of the culture, in concerns of the disconnection of Jesus and word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. This is the written record of the Son of God. Jesus is the living version of the written version. This, when we speak the scriptures, we are speaking the powerful word of Christ. There is There is no other literature in all the world that contains the power of the Word of God. For just us to speak John 1.1 ripples power through this audience. The words of Jesus, the Word of God, has the power to change lives. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God unto them who believe. This is powerful. We're talking about power. Jesus is the word. So when people say, upon what authority is Jesus speaking? Or or, or upon what credibility are you depending upon in terms of what you listen to and what you depend upon and what you obey? We We are the credibility of the scriptures is Christ himself. The Word of God, the living God Himself. Jesus' unique origin as the Son of God. He always was. As the Word of God. As the source of all there is. Because it's the Word of God that speaks life into existence. And the gospel, the good news of salvation that He brings is literally the recreation of what was in darkness and without hope. Our transformation from lost to saved, from in darkness to the light of Christ, from dead to alive, is an act of creation through the word of God. The same God who said, let light shine in the darkness, called our dead hearts into creation. In the same way that God called creation into existence from darkness to light 
he has called our hearts from darkness to light. That's what's happened in our lives. That, that's why when we talk about salvation, we talk about being new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. Literally, salvation is the miracle of creation that happens in our lives. That's what we're praying for this weekend. That people would come here Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and this morning and, and hear the message of God's creation that can change their darkened hearts into hearts that are alive forever. That's the message of the gospel. And so this progressive, which is not progressive, this progressive, conservative, evangelical, theological crack between Jesus and his word that's proposed is an affront to the very powerful word of God in John 1.1. But there's more. There's more to us, for us to look at. The word of God is about more than just ideas and concepts, theological concepts uh, delivered from a, a distant galaxy by a God who's remained away from us and transcended. The, the message that we are getting from this text is that God has drawn near to us. Because God is about relationship. God has packaged up His Word in flesh and delivered a relationship to us in Christ Jesus. So just how vitally interested is God in, in, in a personal relationship with us, in making His person known, and, and the words being more than concepts and ideas, but very life? It says here in the text, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. The Word existed with God. The implications there are and could have stayed with God. There's the idea here that, that there's going to be a divine road trip, that, that something special is about to happen, a, a mission that, that the logos of God is going to leave the Father and Go on mission. This is the message of Christ to us. Truth that called the universe into existence is now going on mission. The Son, it says, was with the Father from the beginning. Eternity passed. At the highest place in Satan's agenda is to hold humanity captive in darkness to this truth. That God doesn't care. If there is a God, he doesn't care about his world. And I mean, look at the world. Look at the big mess that it's in. How could there possibly be a God who cares? If there is a God, at best, he's transcendent and distant and doesn't care. John dispels that. John walked with the Logos. And he tells us here, no, no, the, the word was with God but he didn't stay with God. He came for us because God's message of love was sent to us, packaged up in flesh, laid in a manger, announced to shepherds, and changed lives for centuries ever since. Rejection of this foundational reality about Jesus is the key to keeping people in the dark. Any loosening 
from this truth must be soundly rejected because it puts humanity in peril, and it always has. That's what grieves me so much to hear evangelicals growing soft or growing insecure or, or losing their, their grip on this hold of Christ and His Word because it is through Christ and His Word that the truth is made known to people and the precious truth that changes those who are in darkness to light. And by the way, rejection of this truth strands people in darkness. And you need to see, in John 3, verse 19, for instance, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Make no mistake about this. The world is not free, it's not open to these ideas. It's not curious. The world is blind in darkness. In the same way as the universe was completely dark before the Word of God spoke light. And the hearts of people who, who break our hearts are in darkness and they're fine with it. Unless God does an act, a miraculous act of regeneration, dead, dark hearts have no interest in these things. I mean, you and I, we're constantly wondering, what, what, what will it take? We, we love these people. We talk to them about Jesus. We bring them to these things and they come with us because they're just friends and they want to come. And we th this message is so simple. Why are you not understanding it? Jesus died for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He will change your life. Why do you not embrace this? He will give you eternal life. Why wouldn't you embrace this? Beloved, it requires the Word of God to speak light into a dark heart. That's why we pray. That's why we continue to tell the message. That's why we share the truth of God's word because every one of us who is here today who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, at one moment in our life, the miracle of salvation happened when God turned on the light. Otherwise, we wouldn't be saved. So because God does, it's not about our persuasion. I don't get all bent out of shape about, you know, how, how good do I deliver this message or how, how well or how persuasive, how good a salesman are, am I going to be this afternoon or tonight? No, that's not it. It's how truthful and then counting on the living God who alone saves and alone touches lives and alone brings truth to people. The Son was with the Father from the beginning and truth called this universe into existence, and truth will call lost people into salvation. And there's a final. Who is Jesus in reference to God? It says, and the word was God. The simplest of minds, surely, cannot quibble with the clarity of this. 
And the Word was God. We've already established that the Word is the Son of God. And the Word existed as God. Jesus is God. The only God there is in the universe. Jesus is it. Now, now by the way, you know, we, we see here in, in our, our theology, the, wor- the Word was with God and the Word was God, two persons. Yes? You say, wait a second, I thought there was a trinity. Have you gone to the dark side on us? No, no, no. There's the Holy Spirit. But in this particular verse, all we're talking about is God the Father, God the Son. And of course, wrapped up in the Godhead, even of this verse, is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and the Logos, God the Son. Yes? And the Word was God, with and was, with God and God at the same time. So, as one commentator correctly says, whatever you can say about God, you can and must say about the Word. It's eternal, truth, living, gracious, sovereign, on and on we go. Whatever is divine about God is also possessed by the Word. So, to accuse the written word of error is to accuse the son of error. You can't artificially, because you can't, in this verse, you can't artificially separate the word and the son. They are the same. So you can't say, you can't say, I listen to Jesus... And turn around and not listen to parts of the Bible. You are denying the truth of this theology. It's a package deal. As another writer says, the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. The deeds and words of God are the deeds and words of the Son. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So um, the written word is the revelation in writing of the Son. It is the written revelation of God because He is the Word. So to bypass Jesus is to pass up on God. And since all Scripture is God-breathed, then all Scripture is the words of Jesus. And in their original state can only be flawed if Jesus can be flawed. If God can be flawed. That's why I'm an inerrant. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Because it's the logos of God. To say the Scriptures are flawed, you have to consistently then say God is flawed. You see? You can't make this separation. 
it is an agenda from hell that would try to take Jesus and the scriptures apart from one another so that we can become judges over both. This is not our theology. This is not what we believe. This is not our Bible. This is not truth. So let me just say to you then in summary, there is no figure ever on earth close, even close to Jesus. To even say the words are, are, are ridiculous. No one has a resume as cl- anything close to Jesus. So his words, therefore, are not to be treated selectively. They're not to be treated carelessly. They're not to be treated lightly. He is the very God of the universe, God of very God. The same Jesus, by the way, who forgives the repentant sinner and thank the Lord. Can you, can you testify with me this morning that our Jesus is a forgiver of the repentant? I mean, we would not be here this morning if our Jesus didn't forgive those who repent. But the same Jesus judges the rebellious heart that will not repent. You can't be selective and then say, I only know a forgiving Jesus. I don't know a judging Jesus. He's the same Jesus. He forgives the repentant. He judges the rebellious. He forgives the repentant. He judges the rebellious. He forgives the repentant. He judges the rebellious. Please, please hold this truth fast and repent. The voice of Jesus, the voice of the Logos, the voice of the Word, is the voice of God. So when Jesus says, you must be born again, it is the voice to us of Almighty God. There are not other options. The only God that there is, and the only salvation that is available, and the only eternal life that one can have, comes from the voice of the only God, who says, in order to have that, you must be born again. You must be recreated by Jesus, the life giver. That's the message of John 1, 1 and 2. When, we, when people say, you must be born again, who says so? God says so. Mic drop. <laughs> Sanctified mic drop. And if you aren't born again, you are doomed to hell by the one who decides that. So what, what have we learned today? Jesus is God in flesh. The only God, very God of God. There is no other God. Never a time when the Son did not exist. There are no alternatives to this God, no other options. He is the only God to get to. He alone determines how, you, how that can happen. Beloved, listen, science has hijacked the, our external life. And psychology has hijacked our internal life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus the Christ 
has come to take back both the external life and the internal life that rightfully belong to him. So set aside science where it, where it objects to Jesus. Set aside psychology where it objects to Jesus. And follow Jesus, the logos of God, the very word of God. That's who we are. Unless you come to Jesus, any recall is futile. Turn your defective life in for a recreated model. Christmas, beloved, is an intervention. Oh, yes, it's a time of adoration. It's a time of inspiration. It's a time where we have, in so many cases, uh, uh, only a temporary lift of heart, sadly. But it is primarily an intervention of God into this world, into this dark world. So my question to you this morning, in light of the Creator who has come to be among us, to take our blindness and give us sight to believe... My question to you is, do you understand about this recall notice? Everyone's received a recall notice because everyone's life is defective. And it's what you do with that recall notice that makes all the difference for all eternity. And by the way, when a product is recalled, you send it back to the manufacturer for repair, don't you? You don't send it off to just anybody. Look, if your Sony is broken, you don't send it over to Pioneer. I don't know if Pioneer even exists anymore. That's how ancient I am. You send it to Sony. And when a human life is broken, you send it back to the manufacturer. Through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. You send it back to Jesus to be remade into the image of Christ, who we were always destined to become. So, for you who are here this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have turned yourself in the recall so that Christ has repaired the defective parts and now you walk with Christ, then praise the Lord. But if you're here this morning... And you say, you know what, I, I'm, still, I don't, I'm still in the dark. I, don't, I guess I'm still what you would call a defective part. I'm telling you, beloved, that Jesus cares about you this morning. This message was just for you. And he invites you to open up your heart and your life and to welcome the Savior who gives light to those who are in darkness, who gives sight to those who are in blindness, and who gives life to those who are dead. Let's praise his name together. Let's pray together. And if you want to speak to me or any of our pastors, we'll be here at the front after the service. Let's pray together. Let's stand as we pray. Father, oh, how we praise you and thank you for this truth this morning. Oh, God, thank you that you loved us so much that the word of God went on a road trip and came to be among us and gave his life for us to do what we couldn't possibly do, to die for our sins, that we might have salvation. Oh, God, we thank you and we praise you. And, Lord, if there's anybody, Lord, we just think about this whole weekend. We're just praying right now about this whole weekend. People are coming here. They don't know you. And, Lord, I know you care about them and I know you, you, you long for them to, to know you. So, Father, would you touch hearts and lives this weekend? Touch hearts and lives this morning, right in this very place. 
that people who don't know you would come to know you, would love you, and would serve you, Lord. Give salvation to lives and hearts this weekend, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.